on the road, and a voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who is it? Right? Who are you? And, and, and the response was an incredible word to Saul, a, a word that Saul does not actually even write. Like he would do ceremonially, he would, if he had to write this word, he would like pray, fast, take a shower, clean his room, clean his house before he'd even utter this word, and that's Yahweh. I am the Lord, all capital is what he said, and that was like moving to Saul, to now he's actually hearing the voice of the God he's worshipped his whole life. And he's got it completely wrong. <laughs> and sometimes it makes me nervous. You know, I, I remember one time we were sitting in the kitchen uh, at our Christian camp, and we were just having this good conversation while we were doing, getting breakfast ready for a retreat group. And the question was in the kitchen, if you knew Jesus was standing in the dining room right now, if someone came in from the dining room and said, guys, Jesus is in the dining room. Would you A, drop everything that you're doing, burst through that door, and go and just rush and greet him? Would you B, sit there and go, I don't, really? Is he not? Is what? I don't know. I don't know. Or would you go, oh my word, I don't want to see him. I don't want to deal with someone seeing right through me. I'm going to just go out the back door. You know? And you would think as a pastor, I would choose option A. And there are some times where I think I would choose option A. But there's a lot of times where I'm choosing option C. That if I was confronted with the actual holiness of God, the perfect, perfect person, Jesus, I'd be like, you see right through me. You know everything about me. That would be kind of creepy. I get goosebumps thinking about it right now. Like, wow. Like, you know. And so here's Saul. He's confronted with the holiness of God. It's so bright, it blinds him. And he says, why do you persecute me? And then Saul goes on to say, I didn't know it was you. I'm sorry, I didn't, and he repented. And then he listened to the instructions of the Lord. And that's what's incredible about repentance. Repentance always, after repenting of your sin, follows the instructions of the Lord afterwards. If you do not follow the instructions of the Lord afterwards, I'm going to question your repentance. I'm going to question, because repentance is a 180 degree turn. Okay, And it's not just not doing anything, it's moving towards the instructions of the Lord. And so the Lord had instructions for Saul, and he said, go to this place and find this guy, and he's going to tell you what to do. And oh, by the way, he'll give you your sight back. Oh, thankfully, that's good. I just knock over your... That is a nice I mug, Jim. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I love going to church here. Um, and so off goes Saul, and his name changes to Paul. And right there, it's an indication of what God's going to do. Because remember I told you last year, last week, Saul is a strong Hebrew name. It's the name of the first Hebrew king. The first Hebrew king was a big, handsome, strong warrior. It's a strong name. And then Paul is a Greek name. And the name Paul in Greek actually means puny one, little one, or wee one. Okay? So he went from Saul to wee one. Hey, little guy. Hey, puny, puny dude. You know, like, so that's an indication of what God was going to do in Paul's life. God was going to take Paul, make him second, put him down. Even though this guy was born, circumcised, went through. Here's the thing. So John, James, Peter, Andrew, all of the disciples of Christ, middle school dropouts. Middle school dropouts. Because during that time in Hebrew, right, in the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture, your schooling 
elementary school, you guys better be thankful where you go to elementary school, because their elementary school was called the Pentateuch, or the books of the law, right? Which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I don't know if you've read those lately, but the first 10 chapters are really fun. Well, actually, the first 40 chapters are really fun. After that, it is snooze fest, right? It's called the Pentateuch. And that was their elementary school. Their elementary school was memorizing that, understanding that, being able to teach that back to the teacher. And guess what? If you got to the end of those first five books of the Bible and you didn't pass, you went back to work with whatever your dad did. And James, John, Peter, they were from Bethsaida and they were fishermen and they got out of elementary school and said, see ya. I'm done. I'm going fishing. Not Paul. Not Paul. Paul went on to middle school, and Paul went on to high school, and Paul went on to graduate school. And Paul was a Pharisee, and he was studying to become the top dude. Maybe like the head Pharisee someday, which is like the, the head dude of all of the religion of, 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 of Hebrew and of the Jewish people. That's a big deal. Paul was not one of these low-life fishermen. Okay, That's who we're dealing with. Now, Paul, after he has his conversion, goes on these crazy mission trips because he has been told by God that the people you did not like, okay, the Gentiles, you know, the Yankee fans and the Giants fans and those kind of people, right? (laughs) You have been called to those people. Now go and love them and give them the gospel, you know, the snowboarders. Give the snowboarders the gospel, right, Nathan? those snowboarders. Thank you for going to give the snowboarders the gospel, you too. So, right? So, go give them the gospel. Paul's like, wow, that is people that I do not like. Right? If Paul came in contact with a Gentile before he became a Christian, he had to do a ceremonial cleansing that would take three days. Let me say that again. If he was in public, okay, and happened to just brush shoulders... You need to take a shower now for three days, by the way. Um, you, you, he would have to do ceremonial cleansing for three days. That whole story of the Good Samaritan, the reason why the guys snubbed that guy is because they didn't want to do the work it required to help him. Because not only were they going to touch a Gentile, they were also going to touch a bloody Gentile. And if there's blood involved, the ceremony cleaning is even longer. That's why they went around. That's who Saul was. And God called him to those people. So, after that conversion, Saul comes Paul and he says, here we go. Let's go. And he starts going on mission trips. And on one mission trip, he gets to Rome. And Rome is interesting because, see, Saul had a Jewish parent and a Greek parent, which came into play later, which is incredible. Paul, Paul, man, was chosen by God. And it's funny. I watch men and women chosen by God, and they are trying to outrun him. Good luck. And Saul was one of those dudes. He was chosen from the beginning. Good luck, Saul. You ain't going to run past that dude. So Paul goes on these mission trips. In Rome, he starts a church. Now, Rome is a melting pot. Rome has Jews, Greeks, um, Romans, probably you know, people from Africa, people from more Western Europe like Spain and France and those places. So it's a melting pot of culture, unlike Lincoln, New Hampshire. Um, and so 
There he is, and he starts this church. And so in this church are all these different cultures, right? But they're worshiping the one true God, and that is Yahweh. So the Jews are like, yeah, he was our God first. So they kind of felt elite. They felt like they were the cool people, you know? And the, But Jesus made the gospel available to everyone. So Paul had to remind them lots of times, no, 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 sure, he told you about himself first, but he's making himself known to the whole world, Okay. And what happened was there's this guy named Nero that came into power and he exiled all the Jews out of Rome for five years. So during that time, the church in Rome got really strong without the Jews. You had Romans, you had Greeks, you had people from Africa, you had people from Spain and France. And so they became a very strong church without the Jewish culture. So they didn't circumcise, they didn't eat the feast at the right time, they didn't do all those things, right? And to them, the Jews, it was a big deal, Okay. To us, we can get into that. We can. We can say you didn't do Advent correctly. We lit the, lit the wrong candle or we did it on the wrong Sunday. You didn't set the chairs up correctly. Our, our guitar went out and so it distracted us from worship. We don't have the right color carpet. These chairs were not the ones that we had last year. Our food, we shouldn't make it about food. We should make it about food. Our Sunday school, well, we should make it about Sunday school. We should make it about Sunday school. What should we do? We can get in some major conflict over things that later we go, really? Right? And I've been part of churches for 35 years. Okay? Never forget this. Never forget this. My first Sunday without my father at his church. I'm, at, I'm, I'm doing an internship at my father's church before I come down here so that I can learn, right? There is a gentleman who's 80-something years old that is incredible. He goes and he picks up people on his way to church. Does, he's, a, he's on the elder board, been there forever, and he's healthy as an ox. The morning before, he was clearing uh, trees off the church property because of a windstorm with his chainsaw. He's like 89, right, with his pickup truck, and he owned a Christmas tree farm, and there's actually a book in Maine written about him and his dog and their Christmas tree farm. This guy was legendary, right, and he was the anchor of this church. Well, he had a brother that was older, that was 93, that would always be at church with his little wife, Ginny. And they were just so cute, Beecher and Ginny. Come on now, that's awesome. And it was Abbott and Mim. It's Abbott and Mim and Beecher and Ginny. That's just awesome, right? So I am getting ready to teach adult Sunday school before church starts. I'm on my internship. Now, Dad is using this time to have a sabbatical. He's left, okay? So I'm getting ready to do my first church service without Dad. Halfway through the adult Sunday school, in comes another elder who's younger, blasts into the adult Sunday school and announces, Abbott is dead. And I'm like, what? I just chainsawed with him yesterday. The dude's way healthier than me, and he's 89. And he, this, this, this guy starts to cry, and he says to the, the, the Sunday school class, they found Abbott today in the garage. He's, he's gone. He's gone. And I'm like, uh, okay. And so I called Dad. I'm like, uh, hey, I know you're in Pennsylvania, but Abbott's dead. He's like, what? it's church. What's going on this morning? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, he didn't pick up any of the people that he had. And then Mim called the ambulance and wah da da. Anyway, the whole church service is chaotic. But then we finally get to the end. Well, guess who takes home Beecher and Ginny? He doesn't drive anymore. He's like 93 or 94. Abbott does. So Beecher's just sitting in the front row waiting for his ride. It's his brother, but he's dead. So it's now church is all gone. It's done. The lights are out and Beecher's sitting in the front row waiting for his brother. So I come over and I sit next to Beecher and I go, Beecher, I said, uh, I bet you never thought you'd see this day where you would still be in church and your younger brother wouldn't be. He goes, uh, 
life's funny like that. I said, really? And like, no emotion. And I said, well, was it, is it a pretty hard Sunday for you? He goes, I've had a lot harder Sundays than this one. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, what was one of your hardest Sundays? Oh, and he went to that church since I don't know when, since Moses was on the earth. And Beecher said, oh, I remember one Sunday when I left, came and opened the church and got things going. Ginny never came. And this is before cell phones and all that. Ginny never came. Ginny never came, and Ginny never came, and Ginny never came. And he went home to find out that his 14-year-old daughter had fallen down the stairs and then passed away from a brain aneurysm on the bottom of the basement floor. And that's where his wife was, dealing with that, never came to church, and Beecher just did church the whole day. Set the whole church up, went and did church, put the whole church back to bed like he always does, just the faithful old Beecher, and lost a 14-year-old daughter that day. He's like, that was a pretty tough day. I said, yeah, that is a tough day. He said, but that still wasn't the hardest. I said, really? What was the hardest? He said, my son doesn't come to church. He said, out in the parking lot that we have now, right, there used to be a house, and the church was getting too big, so they needed parking because the city was getting upset at them. Waterville was city getting upset at them parking all over the place. And so when that house came up for sale, the church bought it to tear it down and make a parking lot. Well, Beecher's son, well, Beecher was in contracting and Beecher's son was in contracting. And they got, and a bunch of other guys in that church were in contracting. They got time and they tore the whole house apart. And the guy that was in charge just bulldozed it into the cellar hole and was going to fill it over with fill. And Beecher Sud said, don't do that. You're going to create a sinkhole, and we're going to have to deal with this for the rest of our lives. You need to take all of that organic material out of there, all the, all the wood and all that jazz, and then fill it correctly, or we're going to have a sinkhole. And the guy that was in charge says, no way. I've done this a million times. We're going to be fine. And Beecher Sud said, no, you won't. Yes, you will. No, you won't. And these guys are very involved in the church, very dedicated church. Well, the guy that was in charge did it anyway, and Beecher Sud walked away from the church and never came back again, ever. So Beecher lost a brother on a Sunday. He lost a 14-year-old daughter on a Sunday. And what did the 90-something-year-old guy say? His worst Sunday was when his son walked away from church and never came back. right? And raised his kids that way, his grandkids and his wife, and never came back. Over what? A parking lot. A parking lot. So we can't look at this scripture and say, well, that's not us. That's not us. We are enjoying really awesome times right now. This is a lot of fun. This is great. We're young. It's fresh. It's new. But guess what? There are things coming. There are things that are already here that we're going to, as a group, begin to disagree with and not think the same way as someone sitting next to us. And this is why Paul wrote the book of Romans. Because after five years of Nero's rule, some other emperor came into play and the Jews were welcomed back into Rome. So in comes the Jews. They're all excited. They've been out of their house. Imagine being kicked out of your house for five years. You come back into your town. Think of all the things that we love here. The kank and the school and all the people that we love. You had to leave for five years. When you came back, you best believe you'd be excited to come back to Loon Mountain Ministry. It's been gone from your church for five years. But you came back in and all of a sudden it was completely different. It had changed in the five years that you were gone. And what would happen? You would mourn. You'd be sad. You were so excited to come back to the way it was. And the Jews came back into Rome, and it wasn't the same way. And they got angry. And they used God, and they used the righteous law as a justification to get angry and get in an argument. Right? And so they were talking about 
circumcisions and feasts and all this stuff and getting in, in a big old fight with the Greeks and the Romans and the Africans and the people from Spain, the Spaniards and the French that were doing the church. And they're like, we've been doing great the last five years. People have come to know Jesus. <clears throat> people have been baptized. People have been cured. People are not sinning. Like, what are you talking about? We've been absolutely fine without your weird Jewish practices that are Old Testament and dusty. Right? Well, that didn't go over well. There was great division in the church. And Paul wrote the book of Romans to say, hey guys, this is what matters. The rest of it is all just pomp and circumstance. The rest of it's all just program. Here is what matters. So Loon Mountain Ministry, I would encourage you to listen up. Because this is what matters. And remember last week I told you the book of Romans is broken down into four parts. Chapter 1 through 4 is one part. Chapter 5 through 8 is another part. Chapter 9 through 11 is another part. And chapter 12 through 16 is another part. Chapters 1 through 4 is God's righteousness. And the whole book of Romans is about the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of this. Because you have to have bad news before good news is good, right? Because if all news was good news, is there any such thing as good news? Would there be? No, it would just be news, right? If everything is good news, there is no such thing as good news. There has to be bad news for there to be good news. Does that make sense? Okay, so the bad news is this. And personally, I don't like talking about this, and a lot of churches don't. The bad news, you, 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 and me, we're lost. We're broken. Our life is a scene of an accident. Remember we told you that, talked about that last week? That's the bad news. And Romans talks about this. Romans 3.9. Of all, yeah, it's all humanity. All humanity is broken. Romans 3. 20, Romans 3.20 and Romans 3.23. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We are all sinners and the wages of sin is death. Everyone, all. Okay? Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. That God, who is just and holy, gave his son so that through faith we can be justified or we can be let off the hook or we can be, you know, not guilty because of Christ. And that is Romans, that is Romans 3, 24 to 25, Romans 5, 18 through 19. All of this stuff is the gospel. God's righteousness versus man, humankind, women, men, children, our brokenness. If you don't think that you're broken, and here's the thing, we don't. We like to say we are. We like to say like with our mouth that, you know, I'm broken. But in the in, in there, we're like, no, no, we're okay. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen anything other than a cookie. I haven't stolen a couple of those. We've all stolen a cookie. Come on now. I may have taken one from the ski racing team on Thursday. Before they had them. But there was a lot. There was enough. They all had some. Um, you can tell Mr. Lauks. Um, what in the world were we talking about? Okay. You, you get it. We're broken. You're broken, I'm broken. If you don't think you're broken, have a roommate. Still don't think you're broken, get married. If you don't think you're broken anymore, have a kid. Don't think you're broken anymore, have the in-laws over for Christmas. <laughs> That'll teach you. Romans 5 through 8 is God creates a new humanity for those that put their faith, hope, and trust in him. And that's where we are coming to Romans chapter 7. That's where we are. 
today. Romans chapter 7. And here's what I love about Romans chapter 7. I have the great and unique privilege of doing weddings. And at first when I got here, I kind of was like, eh, I don't think I really like doing these. Like, they make me a little nervous. Like, I'm wicked young. What does anybody want a young kid marrying them for? Like, these, what's crazy is a lot of people that I marry up in the mountain, they've been living together longer than Heidi and I have been in a relationship. I'm like, this is just kind of weird. You've been living together for 15 years and now I'm finally marrying you? Like, what? And at first I used to kind of like, that would grate at me. And I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, this isn't right. But then I was like, wait a minute, look at scripture. The institution of marriage is from God. And what's beautiful about it is I get to share the gospel with people and they ask me to. Right? So when they sit down in my office and I say, you've been living together for 15 years. What? Why marriage? Like, why now? Like, what? What? And without fail, they always go, I, I don't know. Um, it's, I, I think it's just, it feels right. Like, it's, like, it feels like we're supposed to. Or it feels, that's what we should do. I'm like, where do you think you get that? You don't get it from TV. You don't get it from literature. You don't get it from the society that we live in. So where is that coming from? They go, I have no idea. It's just the right thing to do, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's called God. It's called truth. It's called the Holy Spirit. And I'd love to introduce you to him because he's the inventor and the author and the sustainer of life and marriage. And apart from him, you and me can't do nothing, marriage included. Would you like to know him? And it, I just, I love it, right? And then here's what I get to say. I get to say, hey, um, two things are happening at a, at a wedding if you want them to. First is civil, right? It's, it's, it's town. We, 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 have to do, we have to do a town thing, okay? And that's we have to get married for you know, the government has to see that our, our marital status has changed, okay? That's civil. You can now just have a civil union. You, you don't have to have it be religious, right? You can just do a civil one. And I ask people that. I say, hey, would you like a civil or religious, or both. And if they say they just want a civil, I'm like, that's good. More power to you. Here's a list of all the JPs that I know. All right? I, I do religious ones. Okay? So if you'd like a religious one, I'm your guy. But if you'd like a civil one, that's okay. Our country allows that. Go for it. You know? And uh, what's cool is no one knows the difference between the two. You know what the difference is between the two? One is a contract, and one is a covenant. The state of New Hampshire, United States of America, all right, you and Sean have a contract with them. And that, a contract, is 50-50. Okay? 50-50. So Scott and Sharon, according to the United States of America and according to New Hampshire, 50-50. All right? So if they part ways, everything's split down the middle. Except for you get Etta. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not split down the middle. <laughs> so, but it's 50-50, okay? That's a contract. Now, covenant. That is a religious word. It's an Old Testament word, okay? And what covenant means, it's pretty cool. This is where we get a center aisle in a church. This is why we have a center aisle in a church, because of the covenant for the wedding, okay? 
What a covenant is this? It's an agreement between two people that's 100-100, all in. And how they used to show that, symbolize that, see that, is if you were rich, it'd be a cow. If you were blue-collar, it'd be a goat. If you were poor, it would be a dove. And maybe if you were really poor, it'd be an ant. I don't know. But some kind of animal. This is where it gets weird and gruesome. At the end of the wedding ceremony, you would cut the animal in half. Yes, even a cow. Right? And they didn't have chainsaws back then, so that must have been weird. Okay? So you'd cut the cow in half. The goat in half. The dove in half. That'd be weird. Um, The ant, I'd choose that one. But anyway... You would take the animal and you'd separate it. Half on here and half on here. I can only imagine. This has just got to be weird. And you would hold hands as a couple or as kings. If you were kings and you were making a covenant to be in peace with one another, or I don't know, if you were a businessman, you're making a covenant with somebody, you'd hold hands and you would walk through the halves of the animal, the dead animal. And what you're saying is, if I do anything or you do anything to break this covenant, May it be with us like it is with this animal. No longer living. No longer living. That's a covenant. And here's what's beautiful. Here's what's beautiful. Romans 7 explains the covenant between you and your maker. When you put your faith in Jesus and you confess and you give him your life. Romans 7 is the covenant between you and him. And it starts out, Paul uses marriage language. He says, when a man and woman come together, right, they are bound to one another. But if the husband dies, she is no longer bound by that contract, by that covenant. She is free to go and be married again if the husband dies. And what's beautiful about that is you and I are bound to laws. Don't think we're bound to laws? Hey, uh, Craig, are you bound to the law of gravity? <laughs> Poor Craig had a ski accident this week, and gravity won, right, buddy? Oh, yeah. Totally, totally, right? Jamie, how'd curling go for you a couple years ago? Did gravity win? Totally. Ice, gravity, gravity's going to win. That's a law that we're bound to. Other laws that we're bound to, we are selfish, we seek our own way, and we make it bad. We make our lives not good seeking our own way. That's called the law of depravity. We are depraved of our, we are broken. Okay? There's another one called the law in the Old Testament. What's beautiful is uh, Romans 7 says that guess what? When Christ came and he died on the cross and he rose again, that he broke the law. He, he died the death that we needed to. And therefore, we died to the law of sin. And we died to the law of the law. We died to its power. We died to its relationship with us when we are united with Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that when every human child is born, they are in a relationship. They are married to this thing called sin. And if you don't believe it, have a two-year-old. Just have one. They're beautiful, and they're like owning a blender without a lid. (laughs) Evie, you are gorgeous. You are a gorgeous sinner, my kid. You're one of the cutest sinners I've ever met. Right? But still, 
a sinner. Just ask Drew and Trish. You too, my beautiful little kid. I love you. But the good news, right? The good news is that we have a groom who loves us even in spite of us and took the penalty so that we could be united with him. And that's all of Romans chapter 7. And that when you confess your sins, you are walking down the aisle with your groom, Jesus Christ, who is pure and good. And guess what? An endless credit. Okay. Do you like getting candy at the kank? What's your favorite candy at the kank? You, what? You don't know? Natalie, what's your favorite candy at the kank? Sour Patch Kids. What's your favorite color Sour Patch Kid? Blue. Yes! I like you. What about you, dude? What's your favorite candy? Same. Blue, too? Oh, boy. That, I mean, that's some problems right there. Uh, what about you, Leah? Watermelon Sour Patch. Abishay loves watermelon Sour Patch, and, and so do I. Here's the thing. Natalie, do you have a credit at the kank? Can you walk up to them and say, I would like 25 Sour Patch Kids, and I want it on my credit card, the, the little thing in there. Do you have that? You do. Who puts money on that for you? These people sitting right over here? Yeah. So, <laughs> right? These guys. Natalie has credit because of her parents at the kank. And that's what Romans chapter 7 is saying for you and for me. We have credit because of Jesus Christ. That is better than a watermelon Sour Patch Kid. We have credit. You have credit because of who you're married to. She has credit because of her parents. Right? Jesse has credit at the camp because of his parents. And because he scrounges through everyone's car and finds coins in the bottom of the floor and brings them to the camp. I mean, seriously, the kid comes with pockets like, ching, ching, ching. I'm like, what? He, um, it's a little nervous. He kind of reminds me of the monkey from Aladdin. Remember? Where he goes into people's cars and like pulls up floor mats and is like, I'm like, dude, you got a problem, bro. Right? I love that movie. You have credit because of Jesus. You have credit because God gave his son. And that is Romans chapter 7. Lord, we thank you so much that we have credit because of you. Lord, help us to get over ourselves. Help us to put our faith, hope, and trust in you. To give ourselves to this marriage. Give ourselves to this righteousness that's not of our own. That can't be done with works, God. We cannot do enough. We cannot attend church enough. We can't read our Bible enough. We can't listen to enough Christian music That will do this for us. It is placing our faith, hope, and trust in you and you alone. Help us do that, Lord. Help us do that individually. And help us come together collectively as a community and do that together. We love you. In the name of prayer. Amen.